Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 116 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 14th of July 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 48. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4, Verses 13 to 18. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4. And it ought to excite every Christian as we look and read it there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. The Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. And we pray now, Lord, that as we look into your word once again, Lord, we pray for that which would come from you that cannot come from any man, uh, let alone this preacher that stands here today. Father, we pray for the power that is from on high. We pray for your word to be made alive, Lord, not just uh, uh, in verbal words, but to the very hearts of everyone present. You know the needs, Lord. You know the sinner that needs to be saved, the backslider that needs to be restored, the Christian that's walking afar off, the Christian that just needs to be lifted and encouraged here today. Father, whatever the needs of the hearts are, we pray that you would meet them as only you can, that you would receive all the glory and all the honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. For me, it's been uh, an exciting subject as we have been looking at the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we began last week looking at the destiny of that New Testament church. We've seen where it came from and how it's built and how it's supposed to operate and all these things about it, but where is it going to? We began looking last Sunday morning, first of all, that the next event on the calendar of the church. Right now, we're to be doing everything as we have seen spelled out for us in God's Word while we're here. The next big event for us will be the rapture from the earth. The rapture from the earth. And we looked last week how that that will take place. Just as we have read here from 1 Thessalonians, it'll take place, first of all, with the return of Jesus Christ himself to this earth. He is coming back. We saw, secondly, that when the Lord does return in the air, that the first thing that we're going to have is the resurrection of the dead. All those that have died in the Lord, your loved ones, your friends, 
Also, those people you've never met, never known, but they're part of your spiritual family, all those that have died in the Lord, to be raised. And then the Bible says, not only that, but we see the renovation of the living. They're going to be made alive. We're going to be caught up with them in the air, and we're all going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. We're going to take off the old corruptible, and we're going to put on the incorruptible. We're going to, for the first time in our lives, be in bodies that are not tainted and cursed by sin. We don't know what that's like. We'll never have to fight those struggles with the the temptations and the sins and the aches and the pains. We sang there this morning, because he lives. You know, there's coming a day. Sister Rolla, when we'll say goodbye to all the pains and all the aches and all the hurts that this world can give you, they'll be gone. And you know what? They'll never, ever be faced again. We saw how that as we're caught up, that we're going to be reunited in the air with all those people we know and that we love so dearly that have gone on. We're going to be reunited with them, and we're going to be reunited with our Savior for all of eternity. The rapture, a glorious event. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe in the rapture. I'm not sure, you know, you know, I, I respect them, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what, what Bibles they're reading, really. I, I can't read my Bible and, and, and take it any other way. I don't believe this is all a bunch of figurative stuff that means something else. I believe it means exactly what it says. That angel promised that this same Jesus was going to return again. The Bible tells us how that's going to be. That's the destiny of the church. We find that not only is the destiny of church the rapture from the earth, but we saw that it's the reward in heaven. Inexplicable. Yes, you can look at the dark side that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give account for those things done in the body. The Bible says both good and bad. But the reality is, is you're not standing there to be judged for your salvation. <laughs> you're standing there to be judged by what you've done with your Christian life. You are a child of God. If you've been born again, you can't change that. What have you done with that? Have you wasted it or have you used it? It could be a glorious day of reward. I don't, you know, I honestly do not understand. I told you last, I don't understand how that after all that God's done for us and all the times that me, if you haven't, have failed him, I don't understand why he'd want to reward us more. <laughs> but yet, he wants to reward you for everything you've done in this life for him and for his glory. That's how much he loves you. The destiny of the church, the rapture from the earth, the reward in heaven. And then last Sunday evening, we looked at the next thing after the rewarding in heaven is the receiving of the bride. We saw already in studying the church that that's one of the descriptions that the Bible gives to us is that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, one day after God gets through taking you out of this earth and giving you that glorified body and taking you into heaven and rewarding you for everything that you've done for him, for his glory, all that stuff you've done for yourself and for your glory, it's just going to burn up, the Bible says. It's, it's, it's not going to amount to anything. But after he's done that, the next thing that we're going to see is that he's going to receive you 
as his bride. <laughs> He's going to receive you. You know, again, I guess, I guess there are people, but for most people, weddings are kind of an emotional time. It's a time when you laugh a lot. It's a time when you shed a few tears. You're just so happy for the people, and it's such a beautiful and a, and a wonderful and exciting and hopefully a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is going to be like no other wedding that you've ever seen, though. You see, the bride is going to be adorned spotless. It's going to be adorned not in our glory and our righteousness, but that of Christ. We're going to be presented as the perfect spotless bride to Jesus Christ himself. We find that we looked at a number of those things that believe the Bible clearly identifies that it is the glorious church of Jesus Christ <laughs> that will be the very bride of Christ in heaven. So we're going to go there. There's going to be the reward ceremony, and then there's going to be the, the receiving of the bride. But I want you to notice something else in the Bible. The next thing that we see for the church is then we're going to return to the earth. We're going to be raptured from the earth. We're going to be rewarded in heaven. We're going to be received as the bride of Christ, and then we're going to return to the earth. We looked at a couple of the passages in the Old Testament that knew nothing of the church, but they still knew that there was something about Jesus Christ coming back and all the saints coming with him. You see, again, we move to a point in Scriptures where that the Bible is clear if we take it literally for what it means, that there's going to come a point when Jesus is going to return, not in the air as we saw last Sunday morning for the rapture, but he's going to return to the earth. If, if any of you still have the, the, the diagrams that we put together for you when we, when we looked at uh, the uh, second coming of Christ, I've got one up there somewhere in, in all that mess, but... Uh, but we find that, that it shows there in figurative form that, first of all, the second coming, you know, we get this time thing all in our heads. You know, we talked about even the rapture. We got all these things taking place. You know, we, we, we got the shout of the Lord, and we got the, the archangel uh, shouting his voice, and we've got the, the trumpet sounding. We've got the, the dead in Christ coming up, and then, uh, and then everybody being together, and everybody being changed, and all these things taking place. And, you know, in our minds, we think that's got to take time. But God's outside of time. You know, you know why time has become important to you? Do you know why time is important to you in any way, shape, or form? Because of your sin. Because of sin. Because sin brings death. <laughs> the reason we're concerned about time is because we only have so much of it. Well, if there was no limit on time, if you had all the time in the world to accomplish everything that you want to and there was never an end to it, what difference would it make to you? Why would you measure anything in, in, in these increments of time that so concern us? Because we don't know. If we've got another heartbeat, we don't know when our time is going to run out. We know that we've only got so many days. And in those days, so many hours to work, and so many hours to play, and so many hours to rest. That's, that's totally foreign to God in his life. And it will be to you once you're outside of sin again. You see, all these things, yes, we see them all happening, 
But I'm saying, you know, man, it'll give new meaning to microseconds. <laughs> it'll give new meaning to nanoseconds. We find that as all this takes place, and then while we're there in heaven, the seven years of tribulation, first we, Christ comes back in the air to call his church out of here. But the second stage, even though it's seven years later, I believe, according to Scripture, he's coming back with his church. And regardless of what people say, fine, if they want to believe, some people believe we're already in the millennium. I'm sure in the millennium my Bible describes if this is it. <laughs> some people believe that that's just all figurative. Well, all respect to them. The Bible says that Jesus is returning to the earth. And when he comes, folks, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as a warrior. He's coming as the judge. He's coming as, which was it? Was it one of your grandchildren that got worried because they were coming on white horses? Was that Ethan or one of them that... <laughs> Samuel, <laughs> amen, the Bible talks about us coming on white horses. That kind of made him nervous because he was nervous of horses at that time. <laughs> the thing is, Jesus is coming back to the earth, and you and I will be with him, and there will be the greatest battle that this world has ever seen. Some people think that's harsh. No, well, if it is hard to get our hands around, but the problem is, is that we have made sin so small. We have made the results of sin so little that somehow we try to push that aside. When Jesus is coming back, he's going to do away with everything that has brought death, that has brought pain, that has brought the agony to this earth. And it's not his will that anybody should perish in that. How dare people say that it is? He paid the ultimate price that no one would have to. But he also prepared hell for the devil and his angels. And those that choose to go that way, it is their choice, not because he wants it, the farthest thing from it. But the truth is, some will. But once and for all, he's coming to put down the enemy. And at that point, when he puts down that enemy, we see in Scripture that that old Satan, that old Slewfoot himself, He's going to be bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. Now, if you turn with me to the book of Revelation, we're going to begin, first of all, by reading in chapter 19 again, where we looked last Sunday evening, verses 11 to 16. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, there he is, that white horse, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. What did I say? He's coming as a warrior and he's coming as a judge. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, 
that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, it's going to be a very different event. It's going to be a very different event than the first time that Christ came to this earth. We find that if we continue to read down through chapter 9, you'll see that this great battle is taking place, the battle of Armageddon. We find that the beast and the false prophet will be destroyed after the many that they have destroyed and that they have led into eternal destruction. We find that the kings of this world and their armies that have gone against God, they'll be put down once and for all. And as we move into chapter 20, I want to draw your attention there. We find Satan himself being bound and cast into the bottomless pit. The Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Notice, it was Satan in the Garden of Eden. God created a perfect earth and a perfect you and me in his own image. Man had the choice. There was only one sin that he commit, and that was just to disobey God and take of the one tree God said, everything else is yours. But they chose the one forbidden tree. And as they chose that, we find that sin entered in and death came with it. It was Satan there in his subtleties in the garden that tempted Eve and drew her in, and eventually the man with her. Now we find that God's coming back to set up his kingdom again. Jesus is returning to this earth. And when he comes back, he's going to defeat all of the enemies and that ultimate enemy himself, Satan himself, this time he's going to be put in the bottomless pit. He's going to be bound up. And Jesus Christ will sit upon his throne and reign upon this earth. Why is Satan being bound for a thousand years? Because Jesus is going to reign and rule for a thousand years with his saints, with the church. He's going to reign upon this earth. Notice what he says in the next verse. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Do you believe that this morning? It's okay to say amen if you do. Do you believe you're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years upon this earth without the devil, without his influences, without the beast and the false prophet and all those? Do you believe that's real? Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. Why should we make it into anything else? We find that as we carry through that chapter, we find that there's something else that takes place. You see, Satan is bound and Christ reigns. But notice what happens in verse, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired... Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. <laughs> Why in the world? God's got him locked away in the bottomless pit. Why in the world would he let him loose again? She'll go out. Hadn't changed any. What? To deceive the nations, which are the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is one of the most astonishing things that I see in the Word of God that I try to comprehend. You know, we've never known anything but a world of sin, Satan's influence. He is the prince. God has given him temporary dominion over this sinful world. But here, after a thousand years of his presence not being there, of Jesus reigning in purity and in perfection from his throne. And as soon as he's released, I mean, I look back, Adam and Eve, how could you make that choice? You hadn't been tarnished by sin yet. And yet, you made that choice. How can, after a thousand years of Jesus reigning and ruling and no influence of Satan, how can as soon as Satan is released, he goes out and he deceives all over you. You better realize. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. You know, Satan's going to do a lot of deceiving then, but has Satan got you deceived right now? Are you falling? He is good at what he does. And you better realize that he is your enemy. He wants to destroy you. And he wants to destroy you for all of eternity. Has the great deceiver got you deceived? Are your hopes built on something that isn't real? I don't say that to make you doubt this morning because I want to tell you something. If you've got what I got, nobody's going to take it away from you. Nobody's going to take it away from you. If you're not sure about it this morning, then maybe, just maybe something is missing. Maybe you haven't got something that you need. Maybe you've been deceived. Well, swallow your pride and forget about it and make sure that you've got, even the Bible says, to make sure that your calling and election is sure. If there's anything in this world you need to know, it's that. Put the devil down. Put him in his place. You're a child of the king, the one that's going to come back and put him in his place. He comes up. He deceives and all over this world... Forces are going to rise again. 
against Jesus Christ. Then we've got the battle of Gog and Magog. Because <laughs> guess what? They can rise all they want. The devil can deceive all he wants. He can make people believe all kinds of things. He can be, give people all kinds of false ideas and, and false confidence and all of these things. But you know what? He cannot defeat our Lord. <laughs> he never has and he never will. Maybe that's one of the greatest deceptions of all is his own deception. <laughs> but you know, the, the sad thing is, is that even though that he himself can never defeat our Lord, he sure wins the victory over a lot of people in the process. He's taking an awful lot of people with him that have absolutely no reason to go except they're believing a lie. They're being deceived. The Bible is simple. Even, even a little child can understand it. I've said many times, don't get confused. Salvation is not easy. It is not cheap. It is simple and it's free. They're very, very different things. It cost him everything. And it's not easy to break the bonds of sin upon your life, to break the deception. It's not easy when he's there trying to keep you in darkness and to keep you deceived. But by the power of the Spirit, when God shows you that light and he lets you know that it's there, you're going to make a choice just like Adam and Eve. You're going to make a choice yourself just like they will one day when Jesus releases Satan from that pit. You make a choice right now with your life. What are you going to do with Jesus? Where does Jesus fit into your life? We find that when Jesus returns, he is going to reign upon this earth. And, of course, at the end of that thousand-year reign, the close of that reign is what the Bible knows as the great white throne of judgment. He says to us here, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. You're not going to have to lift a hand in the battle. <laughs> God takes care of them. It says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We may not understand all about it, but you know we have no right to remove from God's Word what's there. Whether you understand it or not does not make it true. We find that someday, somehow, we will understand it all. I know one thing. I know him and trust him enough that he's not going to get it wrong. <laughs> he's going to be right about it. I know that there's only one person that our God in all of his love and grace that he purposed and desires to be in that place called hell, and that's Satan and his angels. That's who he made it for. 
but he gives every human being a choice. He makes it clear that it's not his will, that he desires all men to come to repentance, that when he gave his son Jesus to die, he died for your sins as well as everyone else's. The sacrifice is sufficient for you that if you will come, that if you will believe, that if you will call upon him, he will save you just like the many that have gone before you and that may come after. I don't understand and know everything there is to know, and we'll look at that at a later time as far as the realities of heaven and the realities of hell in our study. But I know here that Satan's finally getting his final resting place, and the Bible calls it a lake of fire and brimstone. And the Bible says, where they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Notice verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, we were judged according to our works, but the difference was we were in Christ. They're being judged according to their works, but they're in themselves. They're standing there alone before the holy God that created them and put them here. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's not something to make you smile. That's not something to make you rejoice over. That's something that should give you a greater desire by pretending it isn't there. It does not change it. It should give you the greatest desire of your life to get out and win everybody you know to Christ. Everybody! to share with them the glorious gospel that has been made possible for them through the love of God. We find that that reign upon the earth, it is going to close with this great white throne of, of, of judgment where every man will be judged according to his works. And of course, those are the ones whose names, what did it say, are not found in the Lamb's book of life. That's, that's the only division. The only ones that are going to be with Christ, the rapture, are those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. The only ones that are going to be judged here are those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life. That's the deciding factor we find that the destiny of the church, folks, is a glorious, a glorious destiny. Nobody promised you that life would be easy on this earth. It may cost you to be a Christian. It has cost many that have gone before us. Many have laid down their lives. Had to been willing to, 
because of their faith and what it meant to them. Sometimes the church's course in this life can be a challenging one and a difficult one. And we've seen some of those things. And it's going to be even more challenging if you're trying to genuinely, truly be the true Nest Testament church and not just some religious organization that is somehow accepted by this world. We're not out to make enemies. We're out to see people's lives changed. We're out to see them one to God. We're not out to make life hard for them, to make life miserable for them. We're to give them the one hope that they have in this world and in this life. We've seen the challenges that are before us. And yet, the church gets such a low priority in so many Christians' lives. I can't change that. Sometimes it breaks my heart when I preach my heart and I see this and I, and I don't understand it, not because I, I love people less, but because my heart breaks for them. Why can't we see this, all of us, including me? Why can't we grasp the importance of why God's got us here and the privilege of what he's got for us? Why do we let our lives be wasted on so many unimportant things? I don't know. Because of our sinful natures. But I know this, folks. <laughs> One day... That will all be over. <laughs> We're going to see the rapture of the church out of this sinful world. And you know what? I know one thing then. On my life and on yours, on our church and on every other church, suddenly that presence of sin is going to be gone. Praise God. Suddenly everything will have its right priority in our life. <laughs> everything will be where it ought to be. We won't get it so mixed up and so messed up. The rapture. Oh, you know, I, I could almost become a Baptocostal just thinking about not having to worry about sin ever, ever, ever again. And then the reward in heaven. I, I can't understand it. why God would want to give me anything. He's already given me more. I can't understand why he wanted to give me what he's already given me, but the reward in heaven, that's the destiny of the church, praise God. The receiving of the bride, being Jesus, receiving, receiving you and me as his bride, the spotless bride, the perfect bride, the most beautiful bride that's ever been. We've seen some, some beautiful weddings. Oh, but nothing like that wedding that'll take place in heaven, and then the return to earth, to come back with Jesus, to see him defeat Satan and all those enemies once and for all, to set up his kingdom upon this earth. And Ramona, who knows, you might be the president of Islamabad or something. <laughs> You'll only be a Christian there, I promise you. <laughs> to reign with Christ. For a thousand years on an earth without the influence of Satan, to reign with him, his kingdom, his throne for all of that time. Folks, that's the destiny of the church. There's one more that we're going to look at this evening because I definitely don't have time to get into the next chapter. Listen, the remaking of all things new. <laughs> Do you know there's coming a day? when it's all going to be remade, heaven and earth, oh, 
all these things. You know, when, when there's going to be a, there's going to be such a glorious day that we're not going to need all these artificial light sun. Why? That's nothing. The stars, the moon, we won't need any of that. Why? Because he's going to shine and he's going to be the only light that we need. Praise God. We'll look at that this evening as we try to really close out our study in the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And if anything, I hope it helps you realize it's worth the fight. It's worth the battle. It's worth all the challenges. Do we get discouraged? Yeah. You know, you know you've heard me say before, you know. <laughs> Guy asked the pastor, Pastor, have you ever thought about quitting? He says, only on Monday mornings. <laughs> only on Monday mornings. <laughs> you know, I, I even learned this. I even learned, you know, I put off reading my emails on Mondays as long as I possibly can. Because <laughs> I know some of them are going to be hard to take. I know I've got to get it, but I said, got to wait. <laughs> See what I did wrong this week. <laughs> We're all human, and we'll keep messing up. We heard yesterday at the Bible college, <laughs> Wonderful message brought there by Brother Alan Fernhead <laughs> telling these young preachers what it took to be a, pre, a, a, a pastor. The first one, he said that it was going to take the, the intellect of a scholar. Uh, we use the Bible to see the intellect of a scholar and what that means in a spiritual sense. And also, it was going to take the wisdom of Solomon. Um, that's something that can only come from God, no question about it. Uh, the third one that it was going to take, I forgot right now. But the fourth one was one more to get hit the rhino, of the, the skin of a rhino. <laughs> you got to get thick, thick, thick skin that only God can give you. Told the story of, you know, the cartoon that he saw one time of somebody trying to take blood. If you've ever had blood taken, they try to get that needle stuck in you. And they were trying to get this needle in this guy's arm to take blood out of him. And they said, what in the world do you do for a living? He said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> The thing is, we all get discouraged, and things do discourage us, but the battle's worth it. We don't keep going because it makes us feel good, because it's easy. We keep going for him. If I didn't do it for him, I'd have quit a long time ago. You know, in the end, if it hurts, it hurts. What I want you to grasp and understand is, where's it all going to, folks? Something that is so wonderful is beyond anything that you can imagine. It'll be worth every discouragement you had, every battle you had to fight. It'll be worth everything, whatever that it might have been that you've had to go through. It will be worth it all. The destiny of the church is a glorious destiny. Being a part of the church is a glorious thing where it's taking us to. It's so big and so wonderful and so beautiful that is beyond everything you can imagine. The Bible gives us this. That's where it's all going to. That's where you and I can be. When that trumpet sounds, it'll all begin. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, as we look into your word, as we're reminded, and, and, and you know, Lord, I, I know that we talk about failings, and I certainly fail miserably in even attempting to try to express what I have here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help each of these present. First of all, Lord, to understand the importance of knowing. Lord, there's going to be a couple of things coming up that there's only one thing that's going to make the difference, and that's whether the name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I pray you'd work on every heart here today. 
not for any credit to man or this church or anything else, credit to you alone. Father, if there are those here that are not genuinely, truly born again, made fresh, made new, whatever religious experience or prayers or whatever else that they may have experienced in the past, oh, I pray you'd show them, Lord. <laughs> Let them know it. And I don't care what they have to swallow and what they have to do today. Help them this day not to leave here without knowing that for sure. Lord, for every Christian that may be here today, that maybe, maybe they've just had a rough week or a rough month or a rough year, so many hard things, so many struggles, so many things seem to go wrong. Lord, I pray today that you'd lift their spirits, that you'd encourage them, that you'd recognize that one day it will be worth it all. And that right now in this life, we do have you to depend upon. We try to take so many of these things on ourselves, and we worry, and we get them down, and we just, oh, we just, we just give Satan exactly what he wants. We let it take all of our joy, all of our peace. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts in a real way today. I, I, I can't do anything, Lord. If I could, I would. But, Father, I pray that you'll do what only you can do by the power of your Spirit. And I pray that you'd help each of us here today some way. Lord, through your power, through your word, help us please, Lord, to be more like our Savior. Help us, Lord, to have more of that peace and that joy that can only come from him. Help us, Lord, as your church, as your body, as your bride. Help us, Lord. Help us to be what you'd have us to be. Help us, Lord, to give you our lives wholly and completely to do with as you would choose. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. <music>